Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. This evening we'll be in the first uh, 15 verses of chapter 18, the first 15 verses of chapter 18. With a word open before us, let us go to Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise the opportunity to be able to gather together as your people to hear your word preached. Lord, we're ordinary men and women, but we have the extraordinary God before us. We pray that you would work in our hearts. You would change our hearts and point us unto yourself that we might be able to glorify you and enjoy you forever. pray you do so now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 to 15. This is the holy and inerrant word of our living God. Please take heed how you hear. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Memory, and he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth, and he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. And they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who said, who prepared it quickly. And he took curds and milk and milk, and the calf he had prepared, and they set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him, at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Am I worn out? After I am worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. What would you serve if a world leader came to your house for dinner? What world-famous dish would you put before them? What would you do to find China out? What would you do? Would you pull out your best tablecloth? Maybe in my house it probably would be something like roast lamb or roasted potatoes. Chicken karma with uh, non bread. What happens 
If they then arrived unannounced, if you had no time to prepare, the doorbell rings and there stood before you Queen Elizabeth, the President of the United States. How would you serve them? What would you serve them? And here in chapter 18, we see the same thing, that unexpected guests come to Abraham's house. And the first thing that we see is there are strangers at the door, strangers at the door in verses 1 to 3, that the Lord appeared to Abraham again at the Oaks of Mambre as he, sent, as he sat in the heat of the door. And as he looked up, he saw three men standing in front of him. So the Lord appears is very common. We've seen it in chapter 12, uh, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham in 17. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. But this time it seems to be a little bit different from how we've had it before. This time we've given some detail about how it is taking place. There's Great detail about the place in which Abraham is located as the Lord appears to him. Now he's in the Oaks of Mambre. We've seen this. This is most likely his home where he has settled down, where his tent is pitched. In uh, verse uh, chapter 13, 18, he moved his tent as he separated from Lot. He settled by the Oaks of Mamre, uh, which is at Hebron. And he built an altar to the Lord. And here he remains to this day. This time has passed from uh, 75 years old or roughly to now be close to 99 years old. And he's now sitting outside his tent in the, during the heat of the day. And as Abraham is sitting at his tent, he's most likely just there in the shade, uh, in the cool breeze still, uh, trying to uh, survive that heat of the day. He might have dozed off during this day and afternoon a nap, this cool area, and then he looks up, and there stand three men in front of him. Now, who are these three men? Great question. I try not to get distracted with, as I did with the angel of the Lord, but the early church fathers believed this was a theophany. And here you have the three persons of the Trinity standing before, uh, uh, before him. However, I think more likely that it still is a theophany with two extra people. We see this divide of three men before him, but you have uh, one and then two, which is separated when in the beginning of chapter 19, the two angels who are separated from these three men go to Sodom. So two of them are angels and then one is a theophany of the Lord. So I think throughout this chapter, I think we sometimes can miss something in the English, which is clear in the Hebrew. We do not have a great use, really, of the singular and plural when it comes to words. A lot of our words, they have some plural and singularity to them, but especially in Hebrew and especially in Greek, it, it doesn't necessarily cross over into our translations. Maybe, I've always maybe suggested maybe a th- southern Bible where y'all is translated instead of you. But that doesn't fit in our English translation. So, but it, it changes throughout this verse, throughout this section, that in verses 2 and 3, the, the translation is men. And then from verse 3, it's all singular. Verse 
4 and 5, it's in the second person plural. In verse 9, it's plural again. In verses 10 to 15, it's singular. In 16, it's plural. In 17 to 21, it turns back to singular. At 22, it starts in plural, then switches to the singular. And then 22 and 23 is in the singular. So I think this divide happens. That There's three men before him, but this divide happens with the one and the three. Between two men and then the theophany of the Lord. As I said before, the two angels that go to Sodom in the evening in the start of chapter 19, but then at uh, at 22 in chapter 18, and the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham stood still, uh, still stood before the Lord. So here, these two angels depart, and the Lord is still left there with Abraham. So I think here we have a theophany of the Lord, and then the two angels there. So often angels take an appearance of of a man and they accomplish the judgment of God as we'll see in chapter 19. And this is most likely what the author of Hebrews was referring to in chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Here Abraham is entertaining angels but he is unaware that he's entertaining angels. And he sees these two men and the Lord standing before him. And he runs over to them and bows down, saying in verse 3, Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Your sight there, again, is singular. That do not, uh, if I have found favor in your sight, it's not your sight, three of you, it's your sight, singular. So it's not speaking of the two men here. I think it's speaking of the Lord, the theophany. And if I have found favor, this word again, hen, which comes up, if I have found grace, do not pass me by. The same word which is used in Genesis 6, 8. And Noah found favor, hen, grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here Abraham is pleading the same case. If I have found hen, grace in your sight, do not pass me by. So he sits there now, he's got these three men before him, this theophany and then these two angels, and he asks them if he would stay with him for a while, like the two disciples at the road to Emmaus, abide with us just for the night. They're strongly urging him, stay with us. But I do like the King James, which says, abide for us, for it is towards the evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So here Abraham comes, he has these strangers on his doorstep, and he shows hospitality. The next thing we see is him sharing this hospitality in verses 4 to 8. Now his reaction seems to be a typical scene of hospitality in ancient Near East. To show hospitality to a stranger was highly esteemed virtue in this period. In the cultures in the region, a guest was to be highly regarded. Even enemies were accorded hospitality rights. And it might again be before that that author of Hebrews is referring that to Abraham when it says when he says, having entertained angels without even knowing it. But Matthew Henry notes the religion does not destroy, but improve good manners. Religion does not destroy but improve good manners and teaches us to honor all men. Decent civility is a right ornament to piety. 
that religion, again, repeating that first part, does not destroy but improve good manners. And here we see Abraham modeling these great manners to be able to welcome those who appear on his doorstep. I want to point out a couple of things in Abraham's hospitality to the Lord and these two strangers. First, he does so quickly. We see this, that his speed in all things, he does things very quickly. He is quick to run to them in verse 2. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and there's three men standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran to the tent door. And then in verse 6, he then runs into the tent, and he tells Sarah to make bread quickly. Now this word quick is used of a gazelle, swift. It's used in First Chronicles 12, 8. From the Gadites that went over to David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty and experienced warriors, expert in the shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and who were swift as gazelles upon the mountains. Here, Abraham runs in and tells his wife, quickly prepare some bread. And then after telling her to prepare some bread, he quickly moves on and he runs to the herd, again to prepare it quickly as he instructs this young man. Not only was Abraham quick to welcome them, he does not have any hesitation in welcoming them, but he also does so quickly in preparing for them. And so too we should be quick to extend hospitality to anyone who comes to the door of our tent. In Romans, Paul explains in Romans 15, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Here, these strangers approach this situation who come before him. He, he does not know these strangers, as the author of Hebrews implies, that he's entertaining angels and does not know it. But yet, as Christ has welcomed you, we should welcome others. That we should be quick to show hospitality to others. Not only that he does, shows this hospitality quickly, he also does, does so generously. He shows hospitality quickly, but also generously. Now he downplays it in verses 4 and 5. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourself under the tree. And I'll bring you a morsel of bread that you might refresh yourself. Seems to downplay this, that he's merely just throw together a few things. But yet when he runs into the tent and tells Sarah to prepare uh, the bread, he says to, to prepare three silas of fine flour. Now that is about 23 pounds of flour. 23 pounds of flour, that would make a lot of bread. A lot of pound cakes if you're going that way. Not only he then prepares a lot of bread with this fine flour, he then runs and gets a calf. Not just a portion of a calf, but a whole calf, tender and good. Not just a small sheep, but again a calf. Not just a portion, but prepared fresh on the spot. Just for this occasion, he cuts no corners. Not only he goes and gets a larger calf than just a lamb, but also, as we see in the text, tender and good. It's not merely just a calf, the one that is closest to it. There's a specific adjective he is looking for. 
the tender and good. And not only he gets bread and then goes and gets a calf, but he then also goes and gets curds and milk. Now, curds is most likely some form of yogurt and then some milk as well before them. That here we have, he's not only showing hospitality quickly, but also generously. He cuts no corners. The hospitality not only goes to the culture here, but it was one of the greatest strengths in the Christian community. In the early church, in in the beginning of Acts, it says that day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food in glad and generous hearts. Not only did it happen in the early church when they opened their homes and the breaking of bread, one of the qualifications of an elder is to be that they should be hospitable. The literal Greek, literally, the Greek word is friends of strangers. That word, the elders should be friends of strangers. In 1 Peter 4 9, it says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as I mentioned before, Romans 15, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, Christ has welcomed us quickly. Christ has welcomed us generously, and we should do the same to others. Just as Abraham showed generous hospitality to his friends, so should we. So should we. But interestingly, both Gideon and Manoah bring food and drink to the angel of the Lord. But theirs is turned into a sacrifice. But here, Abraham doesn't turn his food into a sacrifice. He comes and eats with them. And this is that Abraham is a friend of God. In Isaiah 41, 8, it says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. A friend of God indeed. One who has found grace favor him in the sight of the Lord. That not only Abraham is called a friend, so too are Christ's disciples. In John 15, where Christ turns to his disciples and says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Not here, Abraham is known as a friend, not a servant, but a friend. And what is a, the difference between a servant and a friend? A servant does not know what the master is doing, but a friend knows what the master is doing. And here in chapter 18, we see exactly that, that Abraham is treated as a friend, not a servant, that he is instructed what will happen to Sarah and their offspring. He's instructed in, from verse 22, What is going to happen to them? He's not treated as a stranger or a servant. He's treated as a friend. And so too, we should be quick to display hospitality to strangers and also generous in our hospitality because Christ was quick to show us hospitality and he does so lavishly. This does not need, we need to have calves in our yard ready to prepare at any moment. But we should see the Lord's blessing upon our lives and whatever we have in our cabinets, whether a whole calf or half a pound of flour, we realize it's the Lord to be able to show his hospitality to others. And then we see Sarah's laughing in verses 9 to 15. And while they were eating, they asked about Sarah, 
Lord said in verse 10 and explained that surely I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah your wife shall have a son. And behind this flap of the tent opening, Sarah was there listening what is being pronounced by the Lord. We have heard this before, but this time Sarah is in earshot. We heard this before in chapter 17, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The Lord had told and instructed Abraham before that Sarah would come, from Sarah would come his son Isaac. Now maybe Abraham had not told Sarah at this point, and this is the first time he has heard of it. Maybe Abraham came back and explained to her, but it still was hard for her to wrap her head around this. Now we see this great problem before us, which I think we all would understand. Right from the very start, when we were introduced to Sarai, we understood that she was barren, that she had no child. In Genesis 11, verse 30. And same too, this is the whole issue which came up in chapter 16, that Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne no children. And even that Sarai understood that it was the Lord who closed her womb. In Genesis 16, verse 2, it's, she told her husband, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Now, if she was barren at the age of 65, how much more difficult would it be the older she gets? We're told in verse 11 that they were old. It's quite simply, that's what the Bible says. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased with Sarah. The word old in Hebrew, the root word means side whiskers, that they were advanced in years. The way of women had ceased with Sarah. Spring chicken would not be the word you would use for them. It's impossible. You might be able to go see a doctor, Mr. and Mrs. Abraham, and the doctor would turn around and say there is just no way. There is no type of medical intervention that would make you be able to conceive. And that's exactly what Sarah's response is. In her tent by herself, she hears this news that about this time next year she will have a son. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and the Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? That I'm worn out, this word is used in the, when the, uh, the Israelites cross across the wilderness wanderings. It's used to speak of their clothes not wearing out. Their, their feet did not swell. For 40 years they wore the same clothes and they did not wear out. But he or she is worn out. Now we, when we first got married and we moved into our house, we went to Goodwill and we bought this lazy boy chair. 
We, uh, we're just looking for some furniture, and we bought this chair. It wasn't the best-looking chair, but it was comfortable. And we bought this chair, and we brought it home to our house, and we had it in our house for a long time. And eventually, we took this chair back to Goodwill, thinking that they would want it, but they turned around and said, no way, this chair is way too worn out. Now, it wasn't much different from when we took it home to where it was, but it was so bad that Goodwill did not want it. And here, Sarah is saying that, am I worn out? There is no way I am worse than this lazy boy chair. We are advanced in years. There is no human possibly way. She also said, shall I have pleasure? And again, this is one of these words that we uh, misunderstand. But here... Is the same word, the same root word which is used in the Garden of Eden. It's a beautiful thought. Do you think about Eden and the Garden of Eden and all of its beauty and all of its splendor, the fertile trees that are blossoming, the abundance of fruit and life, and yet they're kicked out into this barren dust land. To this land that is cursed. Where they have to labor and toil for their fruit. And here Sarah says. Shall, shall I a barren woman. Shall I have Eden. The God had taken man out of Eden. And put him into this barren land. But now she's saying. Can you take a, a barren woman. And then put him. Uh, her into this garden of paradise, this garden of Eden. God is not only a God that creates things, but He also recreates things. He is able to make things new. Now, we're quick to point the finger at Sarah. But we also need to understand that Abraham had the same response. In chapter 17, verse 17, And Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? Now there's two responses that some people try and explain when it comes to Abraham's response. There is joyous praise, that he laughs out of joyous praise. The second is worldly doubt. Now, I don't think that it seems that he falls on his face out of joyous praise, but his question seems to be more phrased about worldly doubt than joyous praise. That here, maybe in both these, you can have that tension. That he sings out with praise, but still unsure about what the Lord is doing. But the Lord calls Sarah out. But he still gives her that great promise of God. In verses 13 and 14, when the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this next time, time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? The maker of heaven and earth, by the power of his word in the space of six days, created everything out of nothing. Or Jesus 
looking at them in Matthew 19 and says, With man it, this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Or the angel in Luke chapter 1, For nothing is impossible with God. Jeremiah 32, Ah, God, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and you have outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And here, right at the promise of chapter 12, God has said that he would provide an offspring for Abraham. This land and offspring promise. And here, when it finally comes to fruition, both Abraham and Sarah have these questions and doubt about the Lord actually being able to carry out what he has promised to, be able to do. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Jeremiah says, nothing is too hard for the Lord. That I will fulfill my promise to you, even if you have doubts or reservations. This Sarah shall have a son. But in chapter 16, Sarah said to Abraham, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. Then here in chapter 16, when the doubts and the worries are before her, she tells her that I shall be able to obtain a child by her. That I'll be able to accomplish it. But the promise throughout Genesis 12 all to this point has been the Lord's promise of being able to carry out what he has said he would do. That the Lord would provide them a children. Not that Sarah would be able to make a way to be able to obtain a child. The Lord would do it. And in this passage we see this very truth. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And he answers the question... No. At the appointed time, I will return to you. About this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard? No. Sarah shall have a son. But even in this glimpse, Sarah denied it. She denied her not, she says, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. But he says, no, you did laugh. She has in this moment two sins. One of that unbelief of not knowing, thinking that this was too hard for the Lord to carry out. But then also the sin of trying to cover up this unbelief with a lie. It's only this is the only verbal thing that she actually says out of her mouth in this passage. The rest is she thought to herself. But yet, in Hebrews eleven eleven, it explains of Sarah's faith. And it says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Some point between here and this moment where she conceived, her unbelief was turned to faith. She considered him faithful who had promised. Maybe these words resounded in her head. Nothing is too hard for God. Even the impossible task in the eyes of the world is not impossible for God. 
even in unbelief. The Lord was able to work within Sarah to give her faith that she might conceive. 1 Peter 3, verse 6 says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Here we see Sarah's submission to Abraham. But the name of the child, every time that Hagar would call Ishmael, 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 she would be uttering the word, God hears. God hears. But every time Sarah would call to Isaac, 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 she and Abraham would be reminded how they laughed. Isaac literally means he laughs. And this reminder of God's faithfulness, even in amidst their questions, their doubts, that God is still faithful to carry out what he has promised to do. We might go through moments in our life where we're not sure what is next, what is coming before us. But God is still faithful to his promises that he promised right when we met Abraham in chapter 12, that I would give you a son. And here, even this promise, which is reiterated time and time and time again, how many times have we heard this promise? And yet there's still doubts in their minds, yet God is still able to do what he has promised. Even through this, God still fulfills his promise to Abraham. And also to Adam in the garden. That one will come that will crush the head of the snake. This happens through doubters. Through those who question. But God still carries out his promise. Even through sinners. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks unto you. Lord, we praise your name. Lord, we praise your name that you... We look unto the saints of old, and we see their faults and their flaws, but yet you still use them. Lord, and we pray that we would be like them, not saved through our works, but saved through our faith, and you would be our object of our faith. Let us hold fast to the promises of what you have given us in your word. And when we doubt, when we question, Lord, let us do so, knowing that you will carry out what you have said you would do. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that we look unto these Old Testament saints not as perfect, sinless people, but we look unto them as sinners saved by grace, saved by your grace shown through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.